0: Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide, a Casors family production. In this episode, we discuss a basketball career and the journey of an NBA player. Today, we speak with Marcus Pfizer. Marcus is a former McDonald's High School All American, an Iowa State Cyclone legend, the number four pick in the 2000 NBA Draft and a former Chicago Bull. Marcus shares many stories from his playing days at Iowa State, his time in the NBA with the Bulls, and his life after playing professional basketball. Marcus gets very real with us in this chat, and we are excited to bring this to you. Let's not wait any longer. We welcome Marcus Pfizer. The NCAA tournament's going on. We were talking offline. Um, We just talked about how this is such an awesome time of year, something that you were a part of. Uh, back in the 2000 tournament, I hope I my years right. You were uh, you were led your team, Iowa State Cyclones, to the Elite Eight. You know, kind of going back to that year. Um, you know, there's this there's this assumption of what goes on um, with with the NCAA tournament, with March Madness, and all that. But it's all business, man, right? Like, from the standpoint of it actually being a business to the standpoint of you're showing up to playing a game, and if you win, you're playing a day, day. you know, what is it, 36 hours later, something like that, 48 hours yeah. later. You know, yeah. what was it like when you finally get to that point, you're a number two seed, you know, you're one of the favorites to then show up and deal with this pressure as a student athlete. You know, you're not making any money in this world, right? You're going to college and do it. What was it like? Right in, uh, you know, being in, you know, year 2000, it's a huge year uh, for college basketball. Like, tell me, tell me, tell us about, you know, what you're, what you were going through at that time of your life.
1: Well, well, our coaching staff, you know, being led by Larry Eustachian, the way that he coached us and prepared us for the entire season, not only for that moment, you know, we were just even killed, I guess you would say, you know. From from the beginning of the year all the way to that time we just you know stayed the course of, of who we were as a as a basketball club um, we never let anything get a, get us too high we never got too down um, about anything and I mean we we're just a tight knit group uh, being being Iowa State you know we didn't we didn't have the the limelight or the you know flashlight on us like Duke or North Carolina one of the humongous schools like that. So we were pretty much under the radar. We knew how good we were, you know, as a ball club and, you know, we just got out there and had fun and um you know, won ball games. You know, we beat each other up in, in practices and stuff and practices were extremely hard and um, you know, so when when it was time to get on the basketball floor and, you know, play against our opponents, you know, that's that was the fun time. You know, we, we knew in practice we worked and doing a basketball game was the fun time and we just, you know, try to put that product Of what they taught us out on the floor
0: yeah and and so like when the tournament happens and you start getting on your run a little bit so you're not feeling the pressure because you know what you're good at you had the leadership you had gotten to that point for a reason and mm-hmm. nothing was going to kind of take you off of that. Now you ran into a team, I believe, in the Elite Eight. You played Michigan State, who ended up going on to win the tournament, right? With Mateen Cleaves. Right. Um, so, right. I mean, obviously, it, it's a. I was talking to someone. I'm like, sports is cruel because in college basketball, and this tournament might be one of the cruelest things is. I mean, it could just you play as a team that just gets hot or hits a three at the buzzer. And next thing you know, your season's over. Perhaps your college basketball <laughs> right. career's over. I mean, the amount of pressure, you know, people I hear fans all the time. They're complaining. I can't believe this guy missed this kid missed a free throw. I'm like, do you know how much pressure and limelight and all this stuff that's on there um, on these kids? I mean, do you watch it today? Do you see that? Or do you feel like, you know, when you're, like you were talking about before, you've lived with all of that. So when you get out there, yeah. you're just doing your thing.
1: I, or I I watch it, um, you know. Now, um, you know, and I watched the games and stuff yesterday. And um, and watching the Auburn game, when I saw the guy get fouled uh, shooting the three free throws, and I knew he was going to miss at least one. Um, you know, I thought he was going to make at least two, but he he missed he yeah. missed uh, two of the three. And it, you know, that would have been a a big turning point of the game if he was able to convert all three. You know, but like you said, the pressure is so high. Um, you know, cause it's not like <clears throat> in, in college, you so you do not get paid anything like that. So it's not like, well, okay, if I make it, you know, then it's fine. If I miss it, it's, it's fine because, you know, I, I still got everything, you know, kids yep. don't have nothing to play for, but for their pride and to win, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's nothing really to fall back on, you know, cause you know, one, one may shot, one miss out could, could be, you know, the continuation or the end of the season or the end of a career. And you know some guys don't have the opportunity to advance on to be pros, and so that's a big big moment for them. And um, to be in that situation, you just you know, for me, I had to I had to block out a lot of a lot of outside things that were going on. And as a forty year old man now, I, I sit and I think, and I try to recant honestly, a lot of the times, a lot of the moments, and I can't. And then my and my wife said, you know, well, what was going on? And I tell her, I, I just really cannot. I remember because I had to be, you know, so focused in. My tunnel vision had to be so focused in that, you know, it could have been so much stuff going on the outside, on the outside that, you know, I had no clue because I was just being oblivious to what was going on. Just to, I, I wasn't that player that can hang out and do this or do that. And even as a, you know, a twenty-one year old adult being able to, you know drink alcohol or beverages and stuff like that. I, I I wasn't that type of player. My my greatness had to come with being totally focused. You know, some players can do that. I wasn't one of I wasn't one of those guys. I had to be focused on what I had to be focused on and a lot of things were sacrificed, but, you know, ultimately I mean that's how I had to be to be the player that I was.
0: Yeah, so you had to almost like just go out of balance with oh. everything and say you're completely committed to your craft, to what you're doing, and you can't right. get. And you said you you had to give up some things. You had to give up going to the parties and give up drinking and hanging out and doing all this stuff. Where you you had to be so locked in. And it sounds like when you were doing it, you were so locked into a point that looking back on it, it's hard to be like, man, what was going on in that moment? It's because you were just so dialed in at that time, of of having the career that you had and leading your team, um, and just it's it's got to be. Uh, it, it, it's probably hard to explain to someone who wasn't in those moments, right?
1: Mm-hmm. It, it is, it is, and you know, like like you said, if you're not in that moment, if you don't understand it, you know, we all are fans. I, I sit and watch other sports, and I think about, you know, man, that looks so easy, or that looks <laughs> so hard. Yeah. But you, I mean, you never know it until you know. It, I I love I love the game of baseball. Huge uh, Red Sox fan. And you know I I see those go- those guys get up there, you know, and oh my goodness, I want to hit home runs and I'm strong and i fit- and so I went to the uh, White Sox uh, training academy one time when I was with the Bulls, and yeah, I think they had like the fastball set at like 65 miles per hour, and man, that ball was blowing by me so fast, it was <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. and you know, yeah. I mean, come on now, and you know I I take I take 10 11 swings and man, the whole, my obliques and everything is just on fire. And I'm just like, you know, here I am as a, as a pro athlete pretty much in my early years or a problem with my basketball as an athlete. And it's like, man, this is strenuous. So you, you, you never know, you know, what's going on and and how much it takes to be a pro athlete or athlete in a different sport until you try it. And, you know, people from the outside looking in, you know, makes it seem so easy. How they got guy miss that layup? You know, He's, he's running hundred miles per hour. Somebody's bailing down on him. He's trying to concentrate on making the basket. And, you know, sometimes it, you know, Jamal Tinsley, his, his last year, it rolled off the rim, yep. you know, it, you know, it, it just happens that way. You think he wanted to miss that layup? You know, it's just, it just happens
0: that way sometimes. That's it. Yeah, I know. You speak about that game. I remember that. Um, I was watching something when they were showing the uh, Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks, at 30-for-30, 30 30, and one of the mm-hmm. games was when Patrick Ewing missed the layup at the very end. And he was hurting, and he's trying to make the play, and he gets it in there. And it, they right. showed it in slow motion. You think it's going in, and he couldn't believe it didn't go down. And it's just like... People could call them out or whatever, but it's just like, man, the amount of pressure. And that's for anybody, right? I mean, it's just no matter what someone's doing, until you've been in their shoes, you just do not know. So people, a lot of judgment going on, especially today. There's a lot of experts, like college basketball, NBA experts that seem to know everything. And it's like, and a lot of people read those headlines and they just roll with it and they go tell their friends and their audience that's what it is. And next thing you know, they are they know everything. And it's just, it's just not that way. It's just not that way. And that's why I love having these
1: yeah. And, and even, even even that example that you mentioned, like uh, like even Patrick himself, if he tried to mimic the exact same move going down the lane and finger-rolled it to the point where he tried to make it hit the back of the rim again, he probably could <laughs> And so, like, that's one of the things, like, you know, he's he's assuming, like, I've done this a million times. Like, how in the heck did it hit that spot so perfectly to bounce over the rim so perfectly and we lose like that's yeah. that's you know it's heartbreaking
0: it is heartbreaking and you know it's so much of it is down to i think today and i think it's changed i mean obviously winning winning it all winning the championship whatever that is is so important and you see it you know a lot of ring chasing going on it's it, at least that's what it seems like and i want to get into that in a little bit but like okay isn't the journey isn't it so much about like you, not everyone can win it all You know, it's like, look at someone like a Patrick Ewing or some of these other, Charles Barkley, and, you know, they played in the Jordan era. Well, they just happened Mm -hmm. to be playing with the greatest player of all time or what arguably the greatest player of all time, right? And they just, it wasn't meant to be. You know, if they played in a different era, chances are eh, it might have worked out for them. There's a lot of great players like a Barry Sanders, a Ted Williams. They never won it. You know, Ted, Barry Sanders yeah. never even came close to winning it. So, like, you look right. back and you say, well, well that guy, did he regret it? Did he have a bad career? Because I can't imagine. It's like sometimes, like you said, the ball doesn't go your way. The ball rolls out, a put, you know, a putt on a golf course. It just doesn't go in. There's no way to ascribe it. Like, when you look back on it, like, you can't regret. I mean, isn't the journey one of the best parts of the whole thing?
1: It, it, it should be. Uh, ultimately, it should be. I mean, for some guys, it's a different drive. Um, But ultimately it should be Um, like you said, you know, if you're playing in the Michael Jordan area era or like now, you know, a lot of guys are playing in the LeBron James era, you know, being in the East and it's just, you know, when you have that dynamic of a player, that level of a superstar, you know, that person can definitely change the the courses in the history of of franchises. And ultimately that happened, Um, you know, growing up in Detroit, I've uh, been a Bad Boys fan for for so many years as a as a kid growing up, you know, watching them and knowing that, you know, that guy was over in Chicago by the name of Michael Jordan. You know, to be able to beat them or get past them was, you know, a huge thing. But we, you know, we all knew once he figured it out, yeah, it was gonna be a long time before anybody else got championships. And you know, ultimately that that what what happened. I'm a firm believer that if you wanted to take it, taking those two years off. They probably would have ran eight straight. Yeah. You know, which is totally phenomenal. But you know, it, it happens like that and you know, to have that competitive spirit to want to play against and, and beat a team or a player of that caliber is something that you should should ultimately want want to do. Um, but sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. You know, you just gotta, you know, be that competitor. Everyone, you know, there's only one team that can win. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter if one team scores one point and the other team doesn't score any points you know it's it's only going to be one winner you just got to have one point more than the other team (laughs) and with with that being said you know you just have to have the competitive spirit to go out and and try to do whatever you can to win and every year I think what's the what's the chances of the the number one overall or the favorite to win the NCAA tournament actually wins it you know it's always a not necessarily a dark horse, or, you know, just it's always typically someone that's, you know, a team that you say, wow, they they really came, they played in the tournament, and they ended up winning. You know, no, right. one, ever, no one thought Virginia was going to lose to a 16 seed last year, but we knew eventually it was going to happen.
0: Right. It had to. I mean, it's just the law of average. It's not going to happen a lot, and I don't right. think it'll happen again this year. I mean, who knows, but no. Like, I- no. It's uh it, it, like we talked about before, there's just so much pressure. On, it gets on the professional side, too, but going back here to college real quick, because you brought it up, be you know, they say student athlete, right? So you have this whole recruiting process, so you're from Detroit, and you know you talk about that a little bit, first of all, just the recruiting process. So you're coming up, obviously playing a lot of basketball, you know you, you you've mentioned some of the schools already. What was that like? When you're making your decision and you're just going through the process of the of of coaches and everyone else, you know, you just want your attention, um, as a as a high schooler, you know, it, it's just what was it like?
1: Well, for for me, um I, I was born and raised in Detroit. I have family in Louisiana and in Detroit my family migrated from Louisiana up to Detroit. So I have family in both and I actually finished high school in Louisiana. You know, uh going through so much or the neighborhoods that I grew up in in the in the Detroit area, you know, my family and ultimately me wanted to you know have my survival survival rate to be higher, so I chose to you know move to a, to a smaller rural rural area in Louisiana and ultimately you know um, finish high school there. And uh, my my guardian father, who's you know still considered my father to this day, you know the way he raised me and raised you know uh, my brothers and sisters there. You know, it's something that, that I, I personally felt like I needed. And it goes back to, you know, the being under the radar. Um, you know, from a small school, being able to play at a high level, uh, dominating in high school, then get got the recognition and everything, and ultimately became a McDonald All-American my senior year in high school. But be, being a younger kid that's looking to, you know, play uh, collegiate, collegiate basketball, um, transferring from – to high school in Detroit to Louisiana. My freshman year in high school, I couldn't play my freshman year, so I couldn't do anything but train and practice with the team, but I couldn't play uh, in in any other games. And uh, that year, I met uh, Tim Floyd's wife, Beverly Floyd, uh, just by by chance. Uh, she, her mother, uh, or yes, her mother was a patient in the uh, nursing home that my mother, my uh, guardian mother, worked at. And so by chance, we met. She gave me a um, a uh, media guy, and you know, told me her husband was a coach and everything, and that was it. So at that point, I just start looking, looking at the media guys, following Iowa State. Um, that's when uh, Ditcher Willoughby and Sean Baker, Kenny Pratt, Kevin Cato, those guys were there. Uh, J C Holloway, you know, those guys were there, and I fell in love with Iowa State. I ultimately became a high school basketball star and McDonald's All-American, and my heart was already set on Iowa State. And, you know, that's 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 a uh, school that I chose to go to, which is, you know, kind of confusing to me that I'm still the only McDonald's All-American ever to go to Iowa State. I think we have a program there that, you know, even before me and since after me, you know, is attractive enough to land another McDonald's All-American. I just don't understand why it, it happened, happened. But, um, you know, the the recruiting process. You know, got real, real hectic. You know, letters was coming from everywhere. College uh, schools were calling, coaches were calling, calling the high school because then we didn't have social media and we didn't have cell phones and things like that. So, um, you know, they were always calling my parents, always calling home, always calling the school. But you know, with me being so set on Iowa State, it again I had to block out any outside anything else because I didn't want to get too confused. I didn't want to get you know, caught up with his name. I wanted to be the person to go to a university and try to change, try to continue, you know, what the guys before me had put forth, and you know, carve my own niche and and carve my own legacy. And you know, that's what I went to Iowa State to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, just for just taking it all the way back to what you were talking about. I mean, to just you know, you said survival rate. You know, you hear that and. To just like for us to be talking right now and to be on this podcast and what you've gone through from, you know, being a kid and, and going to Louisiana and then having to block out all that noise that had to be going on. Right. If you're a McDonald's American, I can imagine any single school and they would all take in you. Right. Easily. And, you know, to, to then to, to stay true to what you wanted to do um, and to deal with the pressure. But at the same time, like I mean, the pressure you were dealing with was was more as a was as a kid having to, to come up in you know in rough areas right and and to get through that, and it's a success when I hear that i mean I just think like you know there's different definitions of success right i mean I hear that i 'm just like this is the uh, a success story I mean to get where you are is amazing and 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 I'm happy for you that you've been able to do that and you're building businesses and and you had an incredible college career playing the NBA, top pick you know that kind of stuff and it's just a lot to deal with and then you get into high school. And you got all these teams coming at you, or these schools coming at you. Um, I can only imagine what goes on behind the scenes in college basketball recruiting. And we've heard stories, right? You see it all the time and it's big in the news right now um, because one player, a Marcus Pfizer, changes the course of that program for the next right, well, I mean, one, two or three years. I mean, that changes the course of the, the, the school, the coaching, the other players. I mean, I just, I, I can't, and then you got the institutions, the the Nikes, the Adidas of the world, they're involved in it. I mean, I can't imagine what is truly going on behind the scenes. We probably don't even know a quarter, you know, the half of it. It's
1: it's 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 really, it's really to a point where I, I don't want to say it's a money pot, but you know, as uh, they say, money makes the world go round and you know, a lot of people focus on it, um, and and for me, it's it's something that I understand. Uh, been a part of, you know, been extremely blessed, you know, with the salaries that I've made. But it's just, you know, that's not what drives me and my family. Now, um, I actually have a 21 uh, year old son. is actually at a Division two uh, school right now, uh, Christian School Fresno Pacific, that he's playing there right now. And but I have a 14 year old. Uh, eighth grader who is my son, my, my junior, Marcus Fizer Junior, that, you know, here in Las Vegas as a as a kid, you know, growing up, um, he's getting a lot of recognition that he's gonna be a senior uh, he's gonna be a freshman in high school next year. And we have at least four or five schools like in this area that calls Texas every and my wife's like, man, like <laughs> this is really getting to the point where it's like he's going to high school. This is not even college yet. Yeah. And you know he has he has pro potential all over him, everywhere. I mean, he, at that same age, I was nowhere even close, nowhere even close. But but it, it's getting to the point where it's like you know we're just trying to focus on him being the best student that he can be, and while we're sitting trying to find the best school to send him to, we I'm I'm one of the uh, coaches of the uh, club team that we have here, the Las Vegas Punishers that he plays on. And, you know, we have a group of eighth graders that's want to go to high school next year. And all of the schools that are recruiting, you know, our players want them to stay together. And every single day is something different. It's this, this Adidas school, or this Nike school, or this this Armour school, you know, trying to get that group together, you know, to to uh, create a better chance of, you know, winning the state championship in the next four years. And, you know, it just gets to the point where, like, man, if we're going through this as parents, you know, I, I can only imagine what some of the kids are going through. You know, they're oh. ranking them as fifth, sixth, <laughs> seventh, eighth graders. Like, Jeez. come on, now, what does rankings do for kids that young? Right. But they're their kids buying into it, and now they're more overly pressured to do this and do that instead of just focusing on being the best student-athletes that they can be.
0: Right, yeah, it's like you said, it's a it's a big big business right now, and then these kids have pressure on all angles. I mean, they got to keep their Instagram going and, you know, communicate with these people and there's so many different entry points to get access to these kids. You know, there's games all the time, there's social media, there's the parents, and here you go now as a a father living through it, and you see it. I mean, I have kids myself, and you just see, you know, when you look back at the things you did or, or didn't do, and you get to see it from a different perspective, man, it changes things real quick. Um, so I can imagine cool. that you have a lot of pressure on you to make sure to to watch over him and to, to help, but also let him do his yeah. thing. So not, you know, yeah, it's, but, it's a lot. <laughs> but, with,
1: but with me, with me, it's a little different because you know, um, everyone who's in basketball now knows, you know, he's he's my junior and they know me. They know a lot of the the quote unquote BS that they can get over on other parents they can't with me. You know, you can't you can't tell me about the whole process and everything when I've done it on the highest level that you can do it. So i I can tell, you know, the you know, a lot of the other parents come to me for advice or try to figure out because they know they're definitely getting something different than I'm probably getting from these, you know, potential coaches or shoe shoe deal people and all of that because they can't you know, you can't pull the wool over my eyes. Because there's nothing you can really offer me other than the fact of helping me progress my son in the direction that he's ultimately going himself. Um, so so it's, it's not, you know, a dangle of, the, of a carrot to try to persuade me to do this and that because that's not what's needed. Um, but, you know, it. it I, I try to give as much advice as possible, try to keep our guys together as much as possible and, and you know, coach and lead them. I'm not the head coach. I'm more. I'm more concern, concerned with player development. I don't have to be ahead of anything like that. My passion is player development because I understand, you know, how much player development was put into my uh, success in my career. And, you know, I, I don't have to be the person calling the shots. I just I coach and do the things that I can do to help kids get better. Because the ultimate goal at the end of the day, if nothing happens but getting their education paid for, then, you know, let's focus on that. You know, if if the kid is a pro, the kid is going to be a pro from when they're born. You know, time just passes by and the opportunities happen. Get on the floor, play games, and, you know, become a pro. But if the next kid is not going to be the pro or be a pro, at least if we can get their education paid for to get them out into the job world uh, and, you know, make a living, then, you know, I feel like, you know, I've done something good.
0: Yeah, I— so you went through that process already, which we just Correct. talked about. And you, you, you know, you so Iowa State, we talked about it. We talked about the tournament. Well, now you're going pro. Now you're going through the draft process. Now you're talking to, you know, you have an agent, you're talking to the teams, you're talking to general managers, the draft process leading up to the draft. And you have teams that you're hearing from and communicating with. And there's these assumptions of certain teams are going to draft you. So you have an idea as to what's going to happen next. Was, did it play out how you thought or no?
1: um you, you mean my draft of getting dra-
0: yeah like the draft process and then getting drafted before you you know before jumping into the career aspect of it like just the media you know because that's coming around the corner soon you have the lottery you got Zion Williamson and yeah. all this talk you know it, it, again it's an under, it's a misunderstanding that so many people have of of what you're going through as a player coming out of college to then you know going through all this stuff and you know just Teams are trying to build their their franchise up, right? And and not make the wrong yeah. pick, make the right pick. What was it like?
1: Well, for, for me, it it was kind of a surprise because um I never I never you know, I, I was either told I was going to either number three to uh, the Clippers, I think, or number five to Orlando Magic. And, you know, the Bulls had just selected Elton Brand as number one overall pick the year before, and we both were power forwards. So I didn't assume even with Tim Floyd being the head coach of of uh, the Chicago Bulls, uh, of you know being being selected there. Um, I visited I visited the Bulls. I, I was working out and training in Chicago with uh, my trainer Tim Grover, so I was in the area. So you know the other respect thing with Tim and everything, get shots up or move around or whatever. But I, it wasn't like a hard on. Workout for the Chicago Bulls to, we didn't assume that that was going to be the pick or the place that I was going. So, that for for that respect, it was a surprise to me. Uh, my agent at the time, uh, Henry Thomas, um, you know, he was totally surprised that that was the pick, and you know, it was just confusing. And 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 as I look back on it today, do I feel like you know from the beginning that that hampered you know my progression? Uh, absolutely, you know, because I was selected, you know with the draft pick you know the 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 money from three to five isn't that much different you know but to be selected behind you know such a good player and elton brand the year before was a rookie of the year the the year before and then i was selected so i had to you know uh back him up and then the next year my my second year they drafted eddie curry and tyson chandler it was just like a whole cluster of of players there at the same position and Nobody was really progressing on. So right. that was an extreme challenge for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, because they, you know, the Bulls struggled for for many years. Like you said, they just have, like, similar players are playing the four and the five. Um, and they really never got out of it. And the changes. And so, because you would have gone to these other teams and had a position for yourself. Um, but right. But these teams don't, they don't. I shouldn't say they don't care about the player. They do care about the players in some aspects, but they're trying to do what's best for them, and and rightfully so. It's their business, and and if it makes sense to say, "Hey, we're going to take the best player available," which is, I guess, is what they're thinking, and they had a relationship, and they knew you're a good guy, and they could play. Say, "Hey, we're going to find a place for him, and maybe turn you right, maybe into a three, I suppose, Um, you know. But then it is that is that what you think? Is that what you hear? And then you just try to make the most of it at that point, go to Chicago, and and do your thing.
1: Basically, I mean, basically, you know, when you think about when you think about that, you know, I went number three. Uh, Mike Mike Miller went with the next pick. I mean, I went number four. Mike Miller went the ne- with the next pick at five. You know, who was actually a three player? You know, a two three or whatever, and I was a four. So, I mean, even if you would have drafted me and then traded me to Orlando, or you know, or, you know, not drafting me and pick them as four and uh, allow Orlando to pick me. It have just been totally different. Yep. You know, I, I just, I just didn't understand that, that pick. It's like, you know, you, you drafting, you know, two point guards to play the same position, you know, one year after the next. And
0: right. I mean,
1: I I totally understand the, you know, get the best player available at the time and all that different stuff. But you, know, you got to think about, you know, the progression on, I mean, with what the next pick the Bulls had they drafted Chris Mim you know we had a center at the Chicago Bulls at the time and you know Cleveland drafted Jamal Crawford and then they made a trade so I ultimately you know thought that that was was gonna gonna happen and you know the next time the next pick uh, trade that was gonna happen was gonna ha- was gonna be involving me because I just never assumed that Chicago was going to be the place and I was stuck there for the next four years. Yeah. Well,
0: you see it. I remember, uh, I think it was the Minnesota Timberwolves, and they took Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn uh, in the same draft. Right. In the same draft as Steph Curry was there. So it was three point guards, and you know, and, and they take those two guys over Steph Curry. And there's different reasons for it, and you talk to different people, and they all have their own say. But, again, it's taking two point guards. And, and you know, Johnny Flynn ended up getting hurt. Um, so, you know, things change. And, you know, you talked about it before, by chance, you met Tim Floyd's wife. It's like that serendipity, you know, things that just happen by chance and, and no different than here. It's just maybe this isn't by chance. I mean, the Chicago Bulls knew what they were doing, but from your side of it, it's just, you just going out there and all you can do, you can't control who's going to take you. They take you and you move on and you, and you go on and, and you have a great start to your career. I know injuries started piling up and you mentioned before knee injuries. I believe you had three ACL Injuries, if I'm not mistaken. All right.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, and the, those are literally the only injuries I've ever had in my entire playing career. You know, people people say all the time, you know, he was injury prone or he had a lot of injuries. No, I, I tore my ACL. You know, literally the only injuries that ever kept me out. Uh, high school, college, I had never missed a game in, in my career. Um, I had always played through everything and. You know, even after, you know, my ACL surgeries, the only injuries I ever had were my ACL uh, tears. And I, I fought to a uh, 14, 15 year career, uh, NBA and overseas. And, you know, that was the only bane of, of my, you know, uh, professional career, just ACL surgeries. And it's just, it's one of those things that happen. Um, you know, no one can really control that. No one really, really saw. Uh, you know, Brandon Roy having that uh, degenerative uh, knee issue. You know, it's just some, just something that happens. It, if it happened to Kobe, if it happened to LeBron, if it happened to MJ, you know, careers will will, will totally have been different. Like Grant Hill, or you know, uh, Tracy McGrady. You know, um, not not being the the play. Although he was a he's a Hall of Famer. You know, he, I, Tracy really feels like a lot was left, or a lot was diminished to to the fact of him being ultimately a, a better player than he actually was you know if he wouldn't have to go through so many so many injuries but it's a part of the game and um if everything that i went through in my career with my boys is coming up behind me um you know is to teach them a different way or the things to look out for you know uh the things to be mindful for and you know the best the best way to give them a better opportunity. And I'll take it a hundred times out of a hundred.
0: Yes, and that's what we were talking about before, the the journey and, and just enjoying this whole process that you go through and the things you get to learn and now you get to give back, whether it's your kids or kids on your team or just people in general or talking on this podcast and getting your message out there and your story out there. I mean I, I think it matters and you're right. You talk about someone like a Tracy right. Grady and, and, and then people like you we were mentioning this before as well. It's like well people say he was injury prone and all this. I mean that's just headline stuff. I mean that's just garbage and right. you know and we all you know are all like you said we're all fans but at the same time it's like man you have no idea what was going on behind the scenes i mean guys tear their acl walking down the street and there's they didn't mean to do it they didn't want to Correct. do it it just happened Correct. and it just so happens that this is a world-class athlete that plays in the nba of which there's only how many spots so i was like 540 or something crazy or 400 something right i mean right. my goodness to even the odds of even making it you know um it's just it's so slim and then you get injuries and what are you going to do i mean there's nothing you can do and then there's always going to be people talking you know that you did this you did that wrong and you know it's just that's and that's just noise and there's so much i hear it now i see it with my son who plays soccer and he's a soccer goalie and there's kids chirping all the time and it's just you get used to it because that's the world it's unfortunate that's the world we live in and you got to overcome it Um, But, you know, like you just like the headlines that people want to create because they want to get clicks on their story to read it so they can Mm -hmm. sell advertising and they're taking advantage of, you know, a high school, college, NBA player. It's just it's just ridiculous. I mean, let's just enjoy the sport. But that's where we are. Um, It's changed a lot, too. I mean, just, you know, science and and, you know the medical side of the ACL injury isn't what it used to be. So if you were playing today, things would be so much different as well from that standpoint. Um, but also, from we talked about a little bit before, the branding standpoint and just the players in general with their off days. So, and I, you know, they, you know, taking breaks, taking rest days. And I forgot what they even call it off the top of my head. But, you know, I, that wasn't happening when you were playing. I mean, that's only recent where people are, are resting. You know, I just saw the other day. Uh, uh, Antti Kupo and LeBron—they were playing each other. Like those are two marquee players in today's NBA, and neither of them played. What do you and what are your, you know, the players that you played with that you know in the last in fifteen years or so ago? What do you guys say about like the current state of the NBA and players taking off days?
1: Well, I think things are like you said are changing so much. Um, you know, there's so much you have you have so many players now that are making more money off the court than they. Are actually making on the court, and then even I, I would venture to say, probably eighty eighty five percent of the NBA superstars superstars are making more money off the court than they are on, and you know they they you know that definitely affects you know what what the player ultimately are, are, are going to do. If they can make you know that much money off the floor and make as much money as they're making on the floor, you know they're going to try to do whatever they can to. Definitely maximize the potential of you know them having more earnings. um I'm a big fan. I've always been a big fan of you know Derek rose um was was totally devastated to see him have to go through the things that he's gone through and and you know one of the biggest supporters and, and glad to see he's having success back again now. but you know Derek and I toward t- t- the same a c l and i I remember my first ACL chair january thirty first of of that year. And by the time training camp started the next season, I was back on the floor. Uh, but you have guys, you know, him or Przingis towards ACL and miss a whole year and a half, you know. So it's like, you know, are were, were the times different when they were, you know, concerned with rushing guys back over, or does the guys who have bigger contract he has, you know, hundreds of million dollar contract with Adidas. I'm not sure who Przingis is with, but, you know, he has a, a big deal going with, with his invest, uh, with his uh, uh, sponsors and stuff like that, are they more concerned with, well, let's take, you know, the slowest approach possible to make sure that, you know, my investment is good versus a guy who didn't have a big, you know, that that big kind of a sponsorship or endorsement, you know, something like that. So you understand what I'm saying? It's just a little bit different. I was more focused on, and my trainer, <clears throat> Tim Grover, and uh, everyone, my agent, we were focused, you know, five, six, literally six days a week of hard rehab and the training and getting back onto the floor. Uh, Is things different now? Where you know there, you know you tell your ACL you miss out the entire year. But you know even my second ACL um, from the, from in between the Bulls to um, the Milwaukee Bucks that year when I signed with the Bucks, I told my ACL the last game of the season in April, and I was ready to play back on the floor in November of that exact same year. And that's the credit to what you know Tim Grover and his his uh training staff and the hard work that my agents and we I uh, put myself through, but now you have guys that you know turn a t l or have a meniscus tear or whatever and miss an entire year. so I don't know if it's science, I don't know if it's you know the person the player, I don't know if it's the endorsements you 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 really can't say what it is, but you know they're trying to do whatever they can to maximize you know the the longevity and the potential of earnings or whatever it is that you want to call it
0: well you stay on that platform long enough and you get new opportunities i mean you see players make decisions that help their career out for whatever reason you look at someone like kevin durant goes to the warriors and i know a lot of people around or outside the league at least didn't didn't like it and still don't you know but then you know i was just the other day i saw his show on espn plus called the boardroom and they're sitting there talking business and these guys it was him cj mccollum jason williams is leading it and and these guys, they're talking. They got the, uh, Jack Dorsey, who's the founder of Twitter, on there. They were more fascinated by what he had done by being the founder of Twitter, by being uh, one of the first 10 investors in Instagram. And they were just blown away. You know, Normally, you sit down with an athlete and you sit with Kevin Durant and you're blown away by what. These guys had flipped it. They were so enthralled with what he had going on. And they had so many businesses. Uh-huh. And Kevin Durant's, you know, he got his opportunity, forget going to the Warriors. He's now in Silicon Valley, has his own business, right? I mean there's just there's this platform that they are able to get on which is the NBA in a time when the attention the NBA has is just incredible both you know not only in the United States but internationally I mean this sport is I remember being in Europe uh a while ago and you're meeting kids, and all they wanted to talk about was the NBA. I mean, that's how big it was growing and how fast it was growing. But now these guys have a platform to live on and to build their brand, you know, on the tools of social media, Instagram, Twitter, right. Facebook, all these different things. And then have the shoe deals. But now they're in business. Now, you know, CJ McCollum has his own podcast. Um, it's just, it's nuts what you can do. It's not just basketball anymore. And I mean, LeBron James is a great example. He's in L.A. He's got a production company, Kobe Bryant. What he built after the NBA, it was mm-hmm. just incredible. He's already won awards for his work. My kids and I listen to his uh, podcast, Punies, <laughs> on the way to school. And I mean, it's awesome. I mean, it's it's really cool what they're doing um, or what a lot of players are doing because they had this platform and they're building it not only while they're in their career, but, you know, for after their career because they realize their career could end at any moment. And even if it doesn't end at any moment, there is a shelf life, right? At some time, they're going to have yeah. to stop playing. But um, it's just...
1: Yeah, uh, and yeah. It's, it's, that's kind of a, a double-fold, you know, case when you look at the situation. Because some of the players that you're mentioning now, you know, even in, in the Kevin Durant or CJ or Kobe, you know, these guys have the opportunity to invest more or, you know, they have more disposable income than someone that's on a lower level of a contract. Yep. Yep. You know, somebody making 4 or $5 million a year is nowhere close to making $45, $50 million a year. So, you know, those guys are more cautious about, you know, well, what do I do with this? How can I, you know, do this? And, and having a um, being a superstar in the NBA and having that platform to be a star in the NBA, you know, to reach out to a company in the Silicon Valley, You know, you're bringing more cachet to their business than, you know, a lower level player. So it's easier to get into that realm of, you know, the possibilities and the payout. It's it's higher risk. It was a lower risk for those players, a higher reward versus, you know, a different player. So, I I mean, some of the things that they're doing are are, are great and we totally understand. But, you know, how many people are going to spend two or three hundred million dollars? No, you're right. I should say Mike Tyson did it, but <laughs> you know it's it, yeah. it a different time. That it was just doing a different time. Like if Mike Tyson was the heavyweight champion in this time as he was then, it'd be like Floyd Mayweather, what well, times ten. But it's, it, it's it's just a different time, and you know being able to have the platform, social media is so powerful, and and news spreads and moves so fast, um, and you know having the opportunity and the ability to be inside of that that motion. You know, it, it's great, but you know the guys do great things. Got, got to have a huge opportunity. You know, Kobe can sit down with anyone. KD can sit down with anyone. Right. Uh, you know, at any time, LeBron can sit down with anyone. You know, the business aspect of uh, more business comes to them for the opportunity of what they can do. Oh yeah. And I think more, I think more of the payout is more of a reward than them. To them than them being risked.
0: No, that it's a it's a good point you bring up, and I'm glad you said that because we're talking. I'm giving you extreme examples of the current superstars that exist today, um, versus a, a player who's very good, like you said, making four or five million dollars, and people think well, that's a lot. Yeah, but that could be over a right. course of five years, and that's it. Correct, right? And then you're out of the league, right. and that you got to spread that out over the course of your career, right. and so the, and then you got a lot of people coming at you and trying to figure this thing out, and you're able to imagine that contract that you signed, you're playing to, you know, you can't be sitting there in the boardroom the whole time because if you are and you're not practicing, you're getting better, someone else is. And more kids are coming to take your spot. And that contract you signed might be your last contract. And you're just, you know, you tear your ACL at the end of the season. You might be as good as gone for next year. And now you're trying to fight yourself back into the league, which, right? So that's got to be complicated. So, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Because it's something I think we all need to understand. I do think there's opportunities for players on a smaller level. Um, you know, anybody in the NBA, as far as I'm concerned, is a, is, is a success story and a star because the odds of even getting there. But if they, you know, the, the social media allows for one-on-one engagement. You know, I saw, I was at a game this year, the Hornets were playing the Utah Jazz and Donovan Mitchell, and he's become a superstar really fast but he didn't have uh-huh. to do this like i saw him hand off his like his elbow pad i don't know why anyone would want someone's elbow pad or whatever he had <laughs> but they wanted it and then he leaves and he's walking off and there's a kid sitting down there and he runs past him, and then he stops, turns around, and actually takes his jersey off and hands it to that kid. And I, I, he's not the only player doing that. I get it. My point is, like, uh-huh. he just made that kid's day. Like, that kid, is Don, he's, he's a Donovan Mitchell fan for the rest of his life. Like, you can never say a bad word around that kid about Donovan Mitchell. And it's you no know, different than, like, if someone engaged with a person on Instagram. The problem is, you know, you got the negative side of it too. You got the stalkers, you got bad people, you got people trying to take advantage of it, but, you know, they could be disguised as kids. That's going down a different path, but. There is ways to engage or say hello or smile at somebody that I think that is brand building. That is reputation building that can last with someone for a very long time. No different than you even being your, your MBA career is over. You're still having an impact. Your brand still has an impact on these kids today. So I still think it matters. But, but your point is, is well taken to the fact that you know, it's very easy for a Kevin Durant or Kobe Bryant to do. Totally different for someone who's playing off of a, a three-year contract and it might be his last um, but it's, it's just a different time, man. It's just the sport's different. The uh, it's all about titles. If you don't win, what a disaster you must be, and all that. It's just like, man, there's only two teams that have won it in the last what four or something years, and that's pretty typical in the NBA. And so I don't know. I think it's a lot of fun to talk about, but I, there's just a whole side. There's a whole business behind this thing that you know more than most. Um, and I'm just I'm just appreciative that you've spent time with us talking about all this because it's important. I think it's important for for business owners to hear, entrepreneurs that have never picked up a basketball a day in their life, because it it stuff relates. You know, I mean, there's just why we draw we draw the intersection between sports and business. But let's get the stories from someone like a someone like you, Marcus Pfizer, that that can tell us this for for what it really is. You know, and here you are now helping other kids and generations. Um, learn from you because you know the game so well. I mean, I read something about you when you went to the D-League and you were I think the the MVP of the D-League, but that right. you were the guy that they wanted to learn from because you knew the game to another level that they hadn't even, even thought of. Isn't
1: that right? Yes. yes. I mean, it, it, and even, that, even that time of you know, having to come off of ATL ACL surgery, having to go to the D-League, and that's when the D-League wasn't Nowhere where like the G League is now um, but I decided to go that route uh, playing for a coach and uh, legendary Dennis Johnson you know I learned so much from him in that time um, and even being down there being the leader of that team uh, having players on the team that I know that were young like I never cast not one of my D League checks uh, it was a player it was a couple players that was on the team that were uh, not making that much money, and every time we got paid, I gave them a check, you know, and, and I, I think that's the first time, I don't know if they've told those stories, but it's the first time I've ever told those stories because, you know, at that point, you know, I was blessed enough to not need that, you know, that, that money, and though they were younger players that did need that money, and the money that I, were being, that I was being paid because it was different tiers was more, more money than they were making, you know, in their checks, and so, that went a long way and to help them and their families out, you know, just being that leader, you know, just, just being able to be down here. There was no egos. Uh, the players were playing together and, you know, we were having a lot of success. We were learning and, you know, we were having fun. It was, it was kind of like a, a college atmosphere, being back in school, you know, having the roommate um, that you had to stay with on the road and, you know, a, a lot then we were busting around. I think they have planes and stuff now. Uh, 'cause there's so many teams, but we were busting in a lot of places and, you know, it it was just a it was just a atmosphere of, you know, being with being with those players. You know, like like I said, when I when I first went down there I didn't know what to expect. Um I think uh, one of my cars that I had at the time was a Bentley. And, you know, to show up there with the Bentley and things like that it was <laughs> kind of a uh I was like, you know, this is this isn't the right there's not projecting the right, you know, image or anything like that. So the first chance that I had, I had uh, my brother. They actually drove down from, from Chicago, or the one that I, I think I had a uh, Yukon Denali or whatever. And they drove down and spent a couple of t- couple of days down there, a couple of weeks down, and they drove the Billy mid- 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 back up to Chicago. And, you know, they were happy. They was like, man, he's giving us the. That's <laughs> the right. Most- we're set. <laughs> <sad. laughs> but, but, but I was like, you know, the, the whole situation was to, you know, make them understand, you know, that I'm no different. From, from what you guys are, are ultimately trying to be and uh, you know that that resonated a lot through the coaching staff and through you know the players that I was playing with you know because we had we had a lot of fun we had a lot of fun and had I remained I feel like you know we <laughs> we would have won the championship that year but um you know people say you know you were the MVP of the D League and everything like that uh, and I said you know not not in a braggadocious way but I was I was a number four wall pick. I mean, I sh- I should be able to come down here and be the MVP of the league, right? And I was it was a rehab stint, or I guess you would say that it turned out to be a little bit more extended than I ultimately, you know, wanted it to be. But I learned a lot about myself, and I, I learned a lot about my teammates at the time, and I learned a lot from Dennis Johnson.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine so. I mean, just yeah, the way you're just being real with us, I appreciate it. I mean, and that story, like you said, you're not out there telling that story about how you gave your paycheck to these other guys. But I mean, what a story that is just to hear that and just, you know, you just don't hear it a lot. And and I get it too, because you don't have to tell those stories. I mean, that story has, like you said, hasn't been told in a long time or never told. Um, But in just what you did and giving back to those players, it's obvious because you're doing the same thing today with with the kids that you're working with. Um, And I just, I'm just... I think it's I think it's fantastic, and like I said before, to even have these conversations um so marcus i I appreciate uh the time you spent um I wish you nothing but the best for your business going forward if you ever if you ever want to chat you know offline about anything along those lines, we've got a marketing business and just like just help telling stories man i mean that's what it is that's what this that's why this podcast exists it's to help it's to tell stories it's to it's to feature people like yourself um, and let you get your story out there. And, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe one person's impacted by it, but that's, that's one difference. It's no different than you handing your check to one guy or two guys and, you know, it make a difference in their lives. I mean, that's, that's what this is all about, isn't it? It's just helping one person and, or just communicate and having conversations with people that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to communicate with. If it wasn't for Instagram, we're not on the phone right now, which is just, it's kind of right. crazy when you think about it, but um, and I remember watching you when you were in college and you know playing in the NCAA tournament, and now the Buckeyes and Cyclones are going to do battle tonight. So we'll see who gets the right. better end of it. Uh, it'll be fun, regardless.
1: Uh, <laughs> I, I definitely appreciate the opportunity, and you know, anytime that we can, you know, connect and get something positive out of it, like you said, that's ultimately what we're looking for. and Hopefully, I can pass on as as much knowledge as I can and everything that I've learned, uh, the good and the bad to the next generation.
0: That's it, man. Well, let's definitely keep in touch. Uh, We'll be following you in your business and social media, but we'll be in touch for sure, man. And uh, like I said before, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. It was a blast chatting with Marcus about his incredible basketball journey. These stories from amazing people like Marcus Pfizer are what it's all about. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at sportsepreneur. Thank you for listening to the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Now go get it.